0: <laughs> I mean. a, doug, I 'm never asking you to do this, would you scoot back two chairs, two chairs because so i moved up here that way you 're not behind me when I 'm speaking. there's certain, uh, like certain people I could trust to have behind me, but you're not one of them. When I grew up as a kid, this is not in my sermon when I grew up as a kid, our worship services, we always had like a row of men on stage. I don't even know what they did. It was like ushers and greeters and pastors. And there's always a row of men in suits behind whoever was speaking. I would find that really unnerving if that was to happen. So maybe it's just my own insecurities. But if there was a row of men in suits behind me right now, I would be creeped out. So thankfully, there's nobody here like that. Yeah, especially if they were wearing sunglasses. That would would do it. I think my mistake was last week at the end of the service, I said, Heidi has spoke the last two weeks, and so next week I will be speaking, and I will have a lot of words, so wear comfortable clothes. I said that the end of service, and none of those people are here. None of you, I think except for John, was here last week. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> And so you, you're you surprised. yeah. So hopefully you're going to be comfortable today. Actually, it's, it's not going to be too bad. Um, I actually manuscripted this one. Uh, you don't usually manuscript them, and that means that I write it out pretty much word for word, and I, th- I think because this has been rolling around in my head for a few weeks, and uh, I just kind of started writing, and and so I have it as a manuscript in front of me, and I, I, I'm going to stick fairly close to it, so if you feel like, oh, hey, he's just looking down a lot, that's why. Uh, I want to make sure to say what I want to say. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, and we are going to open to Matthew chapter 7. And it's the end, so if you find Matthew chapter 8, just go back a little bit. We're just going to read the end of Matthew chapter 7. In 1941, a a pastor and professor named Thomas Kelly, who Heidi loves to quote frequently, and the staff are reading his book right now, he he wrote a book, he wrote a sermon actually, and he was reflecting at the time of the war raging in Europe, and here's what he said. Out in front of us is the drama of men and nations, Seething, struggling, laboring, dying. Upon this tragic drama in these days, our eyes are all set in anxious watchfulness and in prayer. But within the silences of the souls of men, an eternal drama is ever being enacted. And the outcome of this inner drama rests ultimately the outer pageant of history. Isn't that beautiful? It's absolutely beautiful. So let me tell you what he was saying and much less poetic and beautiful language. What happens inside of us as our eyes take in the crazy of the world around us will ultimately determine how things play out in the world. Does that make sense? I I had it even written up here. What happens inside of us as our eyes take in the crazy of the world around us will ultimately determine how things will play out in the world. Just yesterday I was talking with somebody, um, and it's not part of our church. you were outside the church, and uh, Heidi and I were having this conversation, and this person had had a nightmare about Armageddon and having to go around and collect up all of her family and friends and get them to this neighbor's house who had an Armageddon bunker, and she she was talking, and she was just really fearful and wound up, and, and we're like, so why do you think you had that dream? And and she's like, well, I mean, have you been watching the news of late? I mean, there's this stuff going on in Russia, and there's this war with Ukraine, but it's not just a war with Ukraine. The Russian army is starting to turn against its own leader, and you know we have mutinies and all this stuff, and then who's going to have the nuclear weapons, and where's all this going to go? And, and then there's a submarine that's collapsing, and we're spending millions and millions of dollars trying to save these five really wealthy people, and yet there's yachts full of people that are trying to escape persecution and escape famine and escape war in their their country, and they're dying in the Mediterranean. We don't send anybody to save them. This world is coming apart if you watch the news. And she was shaken. She was fearful and afraid. Fear was the ruling faction in her heart, and her dream told her that she needed to get her family and hide. But what if you and I as Christians were different when we look at the world When we look at the crazy going on outside, what if what was going on in our heart was something radically different? What if in the face of all the hard stuff that comes at us, we were solid, we were unafraid, we were loving, we were kind, we were hopeful, we were soft people? I titled this message, Grit and Grace. Because I think that's what God wants us to have. I actually sent, texted this to somebody this last week. This is what I'm praying for you, grit and grace. And I think this is what God desires for his followers, is to have an inner grit and an inner grace in the midst of the storms and trials and the things that go on in the world around us. See, grit is a value that, uh, it's a trait that we value in people, right? We, we say, that guy's got grit. That gal's got grit. And what do we mean by that? We're talking about stick to right they can hang on in the midst of the hard stuff they have perseverance and they've got passion god infuses believers with grit grit to endure grit to hold fast to the hope that we have grit to walk through the tough sti- the tough things that life throws at us and the hard things that sometimes come to us just because we're christians right we want to differentiate the two sometimes things come at us because we've chosen christ that's persecution. Sometimes things come at us because it's life, right? It's, it's called life for a reason. It's not called heaven. It's called life, and hard things will come at us. So God infuses his believers with grit to stick it through, to follow Jesus no matter what, to be with him unwavering no matter what's going on in the outside world. Inside, we are calm and secure, and we can endure. And grace. God doesn't just give grit, but he also gives grace. Grace when parts of the house get beat up by the storm, right? Grace to to repair. Grace to hope. Grace to renew our own hearts, to renew our minds, to renew uh, the world around us, to be involved in the healing and rebuilding of the broken areas in our own lives and in the world beyond us. If the world was full of Christians... Christ followers who were filled with grit and grace, I think that people outside of the church would start to look in and say, "Hey, I, I want what you have. I'm having these nightmares about Armageddon and hiding in a in a in a cave someplace, but you're hopeful. You're you're peaceful. You're not wound up. You're not overly concerned. You're you're concerned. You care." But there's something different about what's going on inside of you, and it comes out in how you interact with me, and I want that. Matthew chapter 7. This is how Jesus would say it. We're going to read verses 21 through 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many deeds of power in your name? I mean, You could add to that. Didn't we teach Sunday school in your name? Didn't we go to church Sunday after Sunday in your name? Didn't I have dreams and prophecies in your name? Didn't, didn't I speak in tongues in your name? Didn't I, didn't I preach a, son, a sermon every Sunday for 13 years in your name? Didn't I do these things? Sorry, continuing on. Then, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be quickened this morning to your word, not be over-familiar with this story, but yet hear anew your call to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few years ago, a hurricane struck Florida, and you know, you're like, which few years ago? I mean, it's happened a lot lately, it seems like, but a big one struck, and I remember reading a story, and I searched and searched and searched and tried to find the story again, but the internet's amazing. You find all the things you aren't looking for and none of the things you are. Um, and so I couldn't actually find the story, but I read this story, and it had two pictures. It was kind of amazing. It was about this family who had a beach home in Florida, and it was over 100 years old, and it had been in the same family for that whole 100 years. So you can kind of imagine what it was like. You know, the first family built it, and they come, and the kids have these vacations and these memories, and the kids grow up, and they bring spouses, and then they bring new kids, and generation after generation of memories are built in this one home for this one family. But then the hurricane hit. The storm came and absolutely leveled the city all around it. And when that family returned to their over 100-year-old beach home to check on the damage, it wasn't just damaged, it was gone. Where the house had been was nothing but sand. When you live at the beach, it runs the risk, right? You run the risk of a storm. When we live where we live, and I mean here on Earth, Like living at the beach, it comes with the risk of storms. It's the nature of living on the beach. It's the nature of living with the views. It's the nature of living with the joy. And that's the joy and the views and the love and the life that we get to enjoy here on earth. But it comes at a risk. Jesus never promised us anything more. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Many people get this confused. They think, oh, because I'm with Jesus, there's not going to be storms, and that's not true. You just need to read your Bible a little bit more because you see over and over again, there are storms. And I know that right now in this room and in this community alone, many of us are facing storms. We're feeling the pressure of the wind and the waves battering up against our house. A good friend dying of cancer far too young with children still in the home. A child with a critical illness spending weeks in the hospital. A close family member with debilitating depression. A child struggling with trauma and pain. A good friend dying very suddenly and without warning, without any, you know, not that people give us notice when they're going to die, but uh, were they sick? They are just suddenly dead. All the questions and cares and concerns that we carry about ourselves, about our goodness, about, about our brokenness, the things that we carry about those that we care about in the world around us, the things that keep us up at night. There is a cost to the magnificent views and the joy of life on this planet, and that is that occasionally storms will hit. There's no insurance for it. There's no predicting it. All we can do is prepare. But take courage. I love that line. Take courage. Be encouraged. God's desire... Is for his sheep, the ones that he finds, for his treasure, the one that he sold everything to go out and get. Is that when the outer world is chaos and crazy, when the proverbial fan is flinging things that fans were never meant to fling? Hold on to that for a second. Think about that. You just, you got the metaphor, John. When the fan is flinging things that fans were never meant to fling, God's hope is that the sheep would not be blown to pieces, like a beach house with no foundation, but instead would stand firm like a house built on a rock. There should be a picture. I guess we have probably missed the pictures. I didn't say anything about them. So there should be, g- uh, keep going. Next picture. See, there's the destruction. Next picture. There you go. You can see what's happened here. The one house that remained, that stood firm, In the midst of the chaos. If this is God's dream for the followers of Christ, if this is what Jesus wanted to have in this world, it begs the question why are churches shrinking today? Why are pastors falling left and right? Why did COVID so rattle and divide the church? Why are men and women who perform signs and wonders in the name of God who like this passage today could say, Lord, look at all the good things I did. Look at how I've served you. Why is it that people are coming apart at the seams? Something hasn't quite connected. Meister Eckhart. This is the next picture. (laughs) It's a great picture. Here it comes, Meister Eckhart. Doesn't he look like a happy man? I don't know why. It was the third century. Nobody was happy then, I guess. Um, But they said this. There are plenty who follow the Lord halfway, but not the other half. They will give up possessions, give up friends and honors, but it touches them too closely to give up themselves. God is inviting us to go the second half, to be built on a firm foundation. There's uh, this thing that we teach in EHS and EHR. It's called the learning curve. It's the next picture. Uh, actually, it's not the next picture. Go ahead and throw up the next, the next slide, Leary. There you go. Here's the reality, that many become converts to Christianity, but few become disciples. Many become converts to Christianity. They like the idea of Jesus. I'm going to touch on this in a minute. But few become disciples. There's a learning curve. It's the next picture that we teach in EHS and EHR. I'll put that up there. There you go. So we talk about this, like in EHS and EHR, we teach you a whole bunch of new spiritual formation things to help you walk in a firm way with Christ, to be firmly rooted and established in his love. And when we teach these things, the first step is that you become aware. You're like, oh, this is a new idea. I've I've never thought about spending time with Jesus like this. And you begin to ponder it, and you learn it, and you try it on a little bit. And after a while, the hope is that you would value it, right? It was like, oh, this is a good thing. This is really helpful for me. This makes me more solid inside. This m- brings me closer to God. And so you value it. And then there's this huge gap, okay? And this is called the, the action behavioral gap. This is the gap where now we have to try and fail over and over and over again, right? We, we, we try a new habit like going to church. We go to church for three or four weeks, and then we miss a week, and then it's really hard to come back the next week. It's that gap where we have to try and try and try and let the Spirit work in us, and we, 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 we work, and we learn, and we fail, and God's grace comes, and we try again, over and over again, until we begin to actually change and we prioritize things in our life. It's where we, we actually reorganize our schedules to be there where we reorganize the flow of how we do things so that I can spend that time with Jesus. And after doing that for a number of months and weeks and even years, we moved into the fifth place where we actually own it, where we become the disciple of Christ in that particular area. It's called the learning curve. Studies show us that when people are trying to learn something new, to take up that new habit or change behavior, most people never make it past that, 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 that gap. They get into that gap and they stay there. In the midst of the bubbling hot soup that this world is right now, God is searching and calling people. The scripture calls him the father that is waiting for his wayward child to return home, he is the shepherd searching the hills for a single, restless, lonely, lost sheep. He is the woman tossing her house looking for her lost life savings. He is the man who finds a treasure in the dirt of a field and then sells everything he owns just to go and purchase that field. That's how God is described. And when a person hears God's voice, after all of God's searching, all of his sacrificing, when he finds that one lost sheep, the scripture reminds us that all of heaven celebrates. The father throws a party. The angels sing. This is wonderful, and many people come to this place. Many people become converts to Christianity because they like Jesus. They like salvation. They like freedom. Our churches have been full of nice, respectable, amiable people. We have plenty of evangelical Christians who will follow Jesus the first half, but not make it past that gap into owning their faith and into allowing God Christ to be deeply rooted and formed in them. Many people will become the converts to Christianity, but few people will become disciples. Men and women who go all the way, who sell all they have and give it to the poor, who take up their cross and die to themselves to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, Jesus says, will be like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. It's not wishful thinking. It's not a dream that pastors dream up for people. This is the deepest desire of God, that his sheep would be like, we're mixing metaphors, that his followers, his people would be like a house built on a rock. People that go all the way with him so that when the storms come, because they will come, the house may shake, the house may shudder, it may lose some shingles, A window may get broken, but that house will not fall. There is nothing more important to the human race today than it would be surrounded by such solid, rooted, anchored, grounded lives. Lives with deep, firm foundations. In modern terms, the real deal. So this passage is a great case where we need to remember the context. We need to remember the context of this. This is the closing remarks of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. And when he says, those who hear these words and do them, he's not referring to the whole Bible, although you could apply it to that. He's referring to his sermon. And he's taking us back to Matthew chapter 5 from the beginning of the Beatitudes and working through how we go through divorces and how we treat our neighbors and, and how we handle sin and this interior life that God is cultivating in us that leads to an exterior life of solidity and care and concern for the world around us. That's the context of his words. It's easy to take this out of context and to just simply say, that we are built on a firm foundation when we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus doesn't say that. It's true, that's the first step. I've put my faith in Jesus, and he'll never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. However, we have to go a step further, because Christ calls us to obedience. He's calling us to act upon his words. John Wesley called the Sermon on the Mount the sum of all Christian truth. It isn't a coffee table faith that is mostly just for looks. A Sunday morning thing that's limited to the times where we're thinking about God. And this isn't an academic exercise that's mostly lived out in our heads. The Sermon on the Mount is a blueprint for a way of life that is unlike any other. It is the way of life and power of the prophets and the apostles. It is the way of life that Jesus lived. It is the, way, it is the goal of the Holy Spirit to use this way of life, to form us into the image of Christ. This solid build life is not built on ideas about Jesus, but built upon obedience to Jesus and a personal, firsthand relationship with him. You can't relate to Jesus through me. You can't relate to Jesus through one another, only through him directly. There is much that we do while we're walking in this obedience, we take up our cross. We keep his commandments. We practice what he preached. And yet, none of, none of the doing of Christianity takes us all the way. It's only grace. We're talking about building our lives from the ground up, from the inside out, on the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. Not on coming to church, not on going to a small group not on gathering more knowledge, not on gathering more principles, but on listening to and obeying Jesus. We have this habit in our construction methods today of doing something called stone cladding. Are you guys familiar with this? Stone cladding. It's really cool. You build a new house, and I have a picture uh, of stone cladding. It's the next picture right here. Here it comes. So you built this really cool wall, and it's ugly concrete, and so we're going to put this false stone panels on the outside of it, and they m- come together in such a way that it looks like real stone. But it's not real stone. It's fake. It's fake stone. And we not only do it on things like this, but we'll do it on the sides of our houses. We've s- I've seen whole huge houses that are built and covered in this stone, so it looks like a 2,000-year-old uh, Tuscan home, right? But the reality is it's fake. We do it because it's cheap and it's fast it's lightweight, and anybody can do it. And it looks real. It's inexpensive. It has the appearance of solidity. It looks like real stone, but it's light, it's cheap, and it's quick to inso- install. The cost is next to nothing, and you would never know that it wasn't real looking at it from the outside. Sadly, this is the lives of many Christians today. But real stone, it's expensive. It takes skilled labor to build it, but it lasts and lasts and lasts. The next picture is a picture of stone walls that have lasted thousands of years. The, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem is the base of the first temple, which was built like 4,000 years ago. There's a Roman wall that's around 3,000 years ago, and there's the Great Wall of China. These things are solid stone built by master masons, and it has lasted for generations, the work that this passage calls us to, of going all the way, of being doers of God's word, is the work of a stonemason. It's the work of a disciple. It's building a building that will last, not with false facades, not with, with uh, pride or with false religion or, or doing the Christian thing or showing up to church on a regular basis. It's building from the inside out, from the ground up on the firm rock of Christ. It's not slapping a stone cladding on the outside of the structure, but it's building from the ground up. It's not a facade of a home that gives you, it's not the facade of a home that gives you the grit and the grace to endure the storms, but it's the firm foundation and the solid rock on which it's built, which gives you the staying power. So how do we start doing that? How do we get there? It's time to get practical, Jamie. It's time for you to give us some, some answers. I only think there's one. The scripture gives us one. I'll read it to you again in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came. And the winds blew and they beat on that house. I don't know how many times I felt like the rains were coming, the winds were blowing, and it's just beating against my house. I don't know if maybe you're in that place right now. The rain is falling hard for you. But the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like that house. The first step in building something solid, something that results in a grit and a grace to walk through the storms of this life, to be that, that where it's coming out of you, to be that person of peace, to be that person of grace for other people, to be the one who is repairing your own inner damage, to be the one who is involved with the Holy Spirit in bringing renewal to the world around us, is Obedience. Obedience to what Jesus has invited you to. Obedience to walk in his grace and to live out the Sermon of the Mountain. It's both a commitment and an action. And you are invited in the next week to read Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and to see what God might be inviting you to obey. To see what the Holy Spirit might be bringing alive for you. To begin building that house on the firm foundation. To go all the way. To take the next steps. To not just stop at convert, but to become a disciple. To not be the seed that the farmer sowed that landed on the hard ground. And where the, the plants sprung up, but the rocks and the soil, they didn't support it and it withered and died or to be the seed that was planted out in the field and but it, the weeds grew up around it, the thistles and the thorns came up all around it and it choked it out, but to be the good soil and to allow the seed that Christ plants in you to grow and to flourish and to become a tree that shelters people around you. That is the invitation of discipleship. And you were invited to be a disciple. I want to close with two things. I have a closing prayer, and then I thought we would sing that song again. Uh, Because I believe it's encouraging for all of us to remember that we have access to a firmness. We have access to a solid foundation and access to an unshakable rock that we can build our lives on. The question for you is, what are you building your life on? Would you pray with me? Close your eyes and open your ears and your hearts. And we're going to pray and I'm, as I'm kind of moving here to get my guitar. And we can sing this song again. Julie, you want to come up and help me out? This time we'll sing it in the right key. But here's the prayer. Mighty God, remind us today that faith is a verb. An active trust in Jesus. I don't want a coffee table faith that's mostly display, a Sunday-only faith that's limited in its piety, or a bookish faith that only lives in my head. Give me a faith that lives and breathes and walks out the door into everyday life, carrying with it joy, peace, and love for everybody, always trusting in what Jesus has done for me, in His name, Amen, Amen. I want to invite you to actually to stand up because we sat through most of worship, right? Just stand up and, and sing this. And it's been said that Christians uh, sing lies; they don't tell them. But what we're doing is we're prophetically saying, "This is what God's doing in me." So wherever you're at in the journey, whether you're a convert or you're a disciple, this is the truth of what God offers us. He is our firm foundation. is my firm christ is my firm foundation
1: the rock on which i stand when everything around me is shaken i've never been more glad that i put my faith in jesus he's never generations so I would he fail now he won't he won't I've got joy I've got joy in chaos I've got peace that makes no sense i won't be going under i'm not held by my own strength cause i've built my life on jesus he's never let me down he's faithful in every season so I would he fail now It through, cause I'm standing strong on you. Oh, I'm gonna make it through, cause my house is built on you. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me is shaking. I've never been more glad That I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful in every season He's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would He fail now? He won't So why would He fail now? He won't Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son,
0: half or moving into the second half, you're in that gap in the middle and you're struggling to find your way, know that Jesus loves you. And we love you too at this church. Wherever you're at, we are here with you. And that Christ is your firm foundation and you can stand firm on him. Go in his grace to walk in his truth and in his love and in obedience to him. And we will see you next week right back here. We love you guys. Have a good Sunday.